Grace and peace, and welcome to another episode of Your Week with St. Luke's, our weekly podcast at St. Luke's United Methodist Church, Orlando. Our hope is that these podcasts will be an opportunity to take a, a deeper dive into the text of the week ahead as we all seek to learn, live, love, and lead our lives in and through the grace and love of Jesus Christ. My name is Jad Denmark, and I'm one of the pastors at St. Luke's, and this is the first episode of the year, and we are excited for the year ahead. This year, 2024, our theme all year long is will be purposeful. You see, last year, we spent the year gathering data from many sources, most importantly, you all, St. Lukers. And we have carefully and prayerfully developed our 24 and more strategic vision. So this year is our first full year living into our strategic vision. And we want to do so purposefully, with purpose. And there will be so much that will happen in this new year. New initiatives will be started, and we will learn more about how to do these new ministries more effectively as we do them more purposefully. We will act, live, and be purposeful with our discipleship, individually and corporately. So next week, we will begin our new sermon series, uh, Life on Purpose, Lessons from Lasso, and that sermon series will take lessons from Holy Scripture and Apple TV's Ted Lasso. We'll also be using Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak, and all of that will start uh, with next week's podcast, and I hope that you will join us uh, as we dive further into Scripture, to lessons from Lasso, and, and some of the support that Parker Palmer's work has. So today we have this, this standalone time, uh, a text that sits alone and a sermon that's going to sit by itself also. Our text for Sunday is Mark chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. And we'll be thinking about our identity as baptized believers in Jesus as we prepare for worship on Sunday, where we will remember the baptism of Jesus we will honor the, the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And as we welcome back to St. Luke's, our guest preacher, the Reverend Corey Jones. So our text for this week is, again, Mark verse one, chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. And this is what it says in the CEB, the Common English Bible Translation. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they are changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of, of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locust and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to bend over and loosen the straps, uh, the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, 
Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove came down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. Now, while Mark is in the second position in the New Testament after Matthew, it's widely agreed that Mark is the oldest of the four Gospels. Generally speaking, we know this because of its vivid storytelling, its rough and ready syntax, how it uses language, and the portrayal of Jesus as an Aramaic-speaking wonder worker, all of which this combines to give a sense of very close proximity to the events of Jesus' life and a desire to get his story out quickly. For a deeper dive into Mark and the Synoptic Gospels, I invite you to go to last year's podcast with the Reverend Dr. E.B. Arnold. She did an amazing job. That's a fantastic episode and is a great refresher of Mark and its place with the other Synoptic Gospels. So we won't go down that road because Dr. Arnold did better than I've ever heard before. So we'll put a link in the show notes for you here in the podcast and on, on YouTube for you to go back to and check it out because it is phenomenal. Now, for our time here, if you notice, Mark doesn't have a birth narrative like Matthew and Luke do. Mark isn't concerned with, with the birth of Jesus. He wants to get Jesus here on the ground and moving. So Jesus steps on the scene as a fully grown adult. But before we're introduced to Jesus in our text, we are introduced to his cousin, John the Baptist. In verses 2 through 8, we have John's preaching. And within that, we can make a few observations. The first, there are are three themes in his preaching uh, that were given in in these verses. There is, in verse 2 through 3, the theme of expectancy. In verse 4 through 5, there's the theme of repentance. And in verses 6 through 8, there's the theme of the coming one. So we have expectancy that in John's preaching is rooted in a scriptural promise. Repentance is what John's hearers are to do. And the coming one is what God will do. So expectancy uh, is, is one of the main reasons that this text, with no infancy narrative at all, is assigned to the second Sunday in Advent, the season preparing for the birth of Jesus. Expectancy of Christ to come into this world. And since we recently had the Advent season, uh, we'll let this one be simply as it is and talk more about repentance and the one to come. Verse 4 says that John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there's a lot of action in this verse. John preaches and baptizes. The hearers sin and repent. And God, God's the one who forgives. Repent. Repent in Greek means to change one's mind. Metanoia is the Greek word there that we hear frequently about in, in books and sermons and podcasts. In Hebrew, it means to turn around. 
in this context, the context of our text, it seems to mean to change one's heart, one's will, one's conduct. And since in verse 5, the, the hearers, John's first audience, respond to his call by confessing their sins, repentance here, we can surmise, also seems to imply recognizing one's sins, being sorry for them, and admitting them publicly. Some suggest that baptism is a sign of repentance, while others suggest that both baptism and repentance are effective means of forgiveness. Well, whatever the case, the text makes clear here that repentance, baptism, and the forgiveness of sins, well, they belong together. Moving along to verse uh, 6 through 8, as it talks about, uh, John's preaching talks about the coming one. Here we have John uh, dressed as a prophet, and John foretells of God's intervention in the, the immediate future. If you recall from a few years back, the word immediately comes up very frequently in Mark's gospel. It's a hurried gospel. Immediately this happens, immediately that happens. And so there's an immediacy here, even in John's preaching. John is a a herald proclaiming the coming king, who goes before the king proclaiming he's coming in. And John is is in the wilderness or or desert, and he lives on on desert food, locusts and wild honey. Yet the major emphasis in verse 6 through 8 is not on the place, the desert, not on the prophet and how he's dressed and what he eats, but the major emphasis of these verses is the Lord, the one who John is preparing the way for the one who is coming. And in this, John affirms two things about the one who is coming. First, the one who is coming is greater than John the herald, this prophet, this baptizer. John is not even worthy to perform the task of an enslaved person, removing sandals. And second, John says, what the coming one will do. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, after our text, this, this baptism, the Holy Spirit is a very important and major character, a catalyst in and through Jesus's ministry. Well, the last, last section of our text is verse 9 through 11. Now that we spent some time with John's preaching, we move to what John does. And again, this happens really quickly and in different ways than the other synoptic gospels. In Mark, the baptism narrative is placed not within the ministry of Jesus, but rather it is the prologue, the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. The baptism seems to perform a function that is important for the entire gospel because it establishes the identity and the authority of the central character of the gospel, Jesus of Nazareth. Simply noticing the structure of the text shows that this point to be true, and not the historical event that's the primary function. It is this, 
the identity of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. In verse 9, we have this setting. We we see the event and the identity of Jesus Nazareth. In verse 10, we have a vision. And in verse 11, we have the voice. Now, Lamar Williams Jr., who's a fantastic Old Testament scholar, says that the vision is even more vivid in Greek than than most English translations will have. And so he translates it this way. As he, Jesus, was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens in the process of being ripped apart. That's much more vivid, isn't it? The passive voice here implies it's an act of God. And the verb ripped, ripped apart, is the same verb that is used in Mark when the temple curtain is torn into two from top to bottom when Jesus died in in Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 3 through 8. In both cases, what had long been sealed is suddenly flung open, the, the, the holy of holies at his death and the heavens at his baptism. You see, Jesus' ministry is the answer to the long-deferred hope. Jesus' ministry is the bridge between the heavens and earth. Jesus' ministry is bringing what is in heaven down to earth, this long-deferred hope. And the content of the vision is the descent of the Spirit of, as a dove. This descent of the dove on Jesus at his baptism shows that he is the one greater than John. Jesus, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, will baptize his followers with the same power, with the same spirit. And then the voice. The voice from heaven attests that Jesus is the Son of God, a very important and basic theme in Mark. This divine revelation echoes, but doesn't quite quote Old Testament texts. And these these allusions invite and at sometimes frustrate efforts to discover in the Old Testament who the Old Testament figures that Jesus is. Is he a king of Israel? Is he the servant of God? Or is he the one to be sacrificed? Mark says he is all of those things. And in Mark, Unlike Matthew and John, both the vision and the voice are intended for Jesus alone. Nothing in the text here in Mark suggests that others present saw or heard anything. Although the the, the reader, we, have been informed of the true identity of Jesus. In in the title, in verse 1, now in the baptism epiphany, at the narrative level, That truth, so far, is known only to Jesus. Some refer to this as the secret epiphany. Jesus knows who he is by means of an experience that is not accessible to objective or public verification known to him. Others must discover this truth by listening to what Jesus says and by watching what Jesus does. 
Well, there's a lot for us to think about and, and pray about and discuss as we journey closer to Sunday and, and this text is preached and proclaimed. What does the baptism of Jesus mean? What does it mean for us to discover this truth about Jesus? And how do we do that? I hope and pray it's by listening to what Jesus says and what Jesus does. And I pray that as we step closer to this Sunday, where we celebrate and remember the baptism of Jesus, that we will also celebrate and remember our baptism and what it means for us. What it means for us to metanoia, to repent, to confess our sins and turn away from those things and to live more and more into the baptism of the Lord. Well, grace and peace, beloved friends, and I hope you have a blessed week and a powerful conversation, and we'll see you on Sunday in worship.